We are in part 13 of our series, Discovering the Kingdom, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, line by line. And we entitled today's message, What Freedom is For. We're continuing on in this theme of freedom. You see, the Corinthian church had a couple problems. We're going to talk about those. One of those happened to be arrogance. In their arrogance, they believed that they could do whatever they wanted, and their Christianity seemed to suggest, to them at least, that they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. Well, Paul kept correcting that. So all the way throughout this series, we have been correcting the definition of Christian freedom. You see, instead of freedom to do whatever you want, we actually believe that Christian freedom means to become who God designed you to be. And you go, okay, I don't understand. I thought I was always free to, nope. Not until you surrendered to Jesus Christ, not until you gave your life over to him, not until you said, Lord, let's do it thy way, not my way. Not until that did all the power and the beauty begin to blossom in your life. That when you said yes to God, things started awakening in you. Everything that you were built for, everything that God front-loaded in there, everything, whether that was genetically, spiritually, whatever it was, that stuff started to awaken when God said, I'm now gonna make you who I designed you to be. Before that, you were held down. Before that, we had the enemy keeping you at bay. But when Jesus set you free, you were allowed to become who God designed you to be. That's what Christian freedom means. It's been said it this way. American defines, America defines freedom as the freedom of restraint, but Christianity defines freedom as freedom from sin and freedom to serve. You see, the Corinthians had a problem, as I said, of selfishness and arrogance, and when they looked at Christianity and realized that they were forgiven, when they realized that their sins are no more, that God forgets them, they're as far as the east is from the west, when they began to realize that Jesus Christ looked at the total of their life and traded their whole record for his, that they were walking in perpetual grace, they said, well, if everything's already covered, then my sin doesn't matter, so it doesn't matter what I do. We call that taking advantage of grace. And so Paul kept correcting them, kept correcting them, kept bringing them back. Now, I will tell you that this was kind of his bottom line. Christ never died to set us free, only allow us to be selfish and hurt other people. That was never the point. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. We are free for service, not selfishness. We are free for service, not selfishness. Now, I am so thankful that Paul the Apostle is more mature than me. I'm so thankful that he didn't just say, hey, Corinthians, you're stupid, stop it. Because I feel like that would have been a shorter book, right? I'm so thankful that he was mature that every time he would correct them, he would call them to something higher. He would say, guys, that's not what you were built for. God has more for you. Stop living down here when you're supposed to be living up here. The way you're acting is not in alignment with the Lord. The way that you're acting is not in alignment with your design. I need you to allow God to be God, and I need you to come in underneath him in obedience, and I need you to become the beautiful person God made you to be. What a much better way to correct somebody, right? Because a lot of times we just want to shut them down. We just want to stop what they're doing. And we talk so much about what people shouldn't do. How about casting a vision for what they should do? How about calling them to something greater? Paul was so good at that. 
He said, whenever I look at Jesus Christ, you know, I always have to think to myself, how did he use his power? How did he use his authority? How did he use his freedom? He's the king of all creation. He can do whatever he wants. What did he do with it? He served, he sacrificed, he died. If that is our leader, if that is our king, what business do we have being selfish? Doesn't even make any sense. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to begin with reading just the first three verses, and then we're going to kind of go slow, because it starts out super awkward. It starts out very unusual. Here's what he said. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Okay, now this seems like Yoda is writing this while on heroin. There is, like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, that is the most awkward, you could have written this clearer in about 15 other ways. What are you talking about? All right, remember, we are reading mail, 2,000-year-old mail, where they were sending letters back and forth. He is referring a lot to what they said, and then he will comment on it. It's almost like coming in on a personal conversation, right? So sure enough, when we break this down, you're gonna find out it's actually beautiful. But it starts out so choppy and so strange. So let's take it real slow. Here's what he said. Now, about that issue you guys wrote me about, food offered to idols. And we're gonna get into that a lot today. Anybody currently struggling with food offered to idols, right? You guys any have those problems at Intel? Anything like that? Maybe on your work? Okay, great. Probably not. He said, I'll get to that. But he said, before we get into that, there's something that you guys seem to keep mentioning that's kind of bothering me. It's kind of in my craw. He said, you say things like this. We know that all of us possess knowledge. Okay, let's pause right there. What does he mean by that? What do the Corinthians mean by that? Here's what they meant. Hey, Paul, you got an opinion. Appreciate that. We got an opinion. You're smart, we're smart. Dude, I get it. You got educated under Gamaliel and all this amazing stuff. Dude, we are Greeks. We have been educated in the greatest institutions. As a matter of fact, ever since we got saved, I feel like the Holy Spirit's like rolling strong in here. We have all kinds of deep knowledge and amazing stuff. So brother, I appreciate your opinion and your perspective, but this whole idea that you're our boss and that somehow you're going to tell us what's right and wrong. We all have knowledge. You got the Holy Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit. All opinions are equal. Quite frankly, I don't mean to be rude, but we're probably smarter than you anyway. He said, so, about that whole you're super smart thing, not telling you you're not, what I am telling you is knowledge tends to puff up. What does he mean? Knowledge without goodness distorts the heart. Yes? Knowledge without goodness distorts the heart. Would you agree that there are brilliant people that are mean? Would you agree that there are brilliant Christians that are mean? Yeah. And their intelligence is part of the problem. How could intelligence be part of a problem? I thought intelligence was good. Like, you don't want just more dumb people, right? Christians, dummies for Jesus. Woo! 
That's not what we're trying to go for, right? That doesn't make any sense. We want to be intelligent. Here's the problem. When you know a lot, sometimes you think you know everything. When you know more information, we tend to think that we know the right thing to say and do, but we don't. Knowledge and wisdom are two different things, right? You can get a lot of knowledge in academics. I'm not so sure you can always get wisdom in academics. You see, knowledge is facts. Wisdom is what to do with the facts. What's the best way to handle it? What's the best way to use it? And I'm not so sure those two things always go together. You see, when someone starts becoming really, really smart, they start thinking they know everything. And when they start thinking they know everything, they now want to live to prove that to everyone else. And the most difficult part about it is a lot of times it's tempting to disengage your heart. You see, God built us to be integrated. A lot of us live a little bit too compartmentalized. And what that means is picture like a pie chart, right? You got all these pieces of pie. One area would be your work life or one area would be your school life. And one area is your friends. And then one area is your spirituality. And one area is your education. Now, when you take all those different pieces, sometimes we zero in and we go, I'm really good at this one. So I'm only going to focus on that one. We forget about all the other ones. But you see, God built us to be integrated that our mercy and grace and love side of us should keep our knowledge in check. When we compartmentalize, then we get so focused on being right, we don't care who we hurt in our effort to be right. That should never be. You know who used to do this quite a bit? The Pharisees. So the Pharisees were the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and those religious leaders were super smart. As a matter of fact, a lot of them were lawyers. Some of them were scribes. And what that meant was they had gone through extreme education their whole lives. They knew the Old Testament backward and forward. Is it possible to know the Bible and miss Jesus? They were the epitome of that. They knew the Bible and missed Jesus. The disciples did not know the Bible as well but they knew Jesus. You see, the Pharisees disengaged their heart. They disengaged their grace. They disengaged their thoughts of people. They looked at everyone academically, but not ministerially. They looked at things about being right and wrong, but they didn't look at what's loving. Yeah? And that became a major problem. Here's the unfortunate reality. We have Pharisees today, you guys. And some of them are us. You can always tell a Pharisee, especially if we're talking about pastors or leaders or teachers, you can always tell a Pharisee because everything that they talk about, they always talk about being right. They always talk about accuracy. And there's nothing wrong with being accurate, but when you combine it with the fact that you look around them and there's wounded people all over the place, they usually are all about rules and regulations, about what you should or should not do. You can always tell a Pharisee. I just hope that's not us, right? You know, it's interesting because I train this church. We are a teaching church. And what that means is everything we do, we kind of over-explain. We slow things down and, and we try to train you up that you would know how to read the word just like we know how to read the word. That's the whole point. So that we're all one big family and we can all do the same stuff. 
But the way that I train you and the way that I talk about accuracy and the way that I could easily train a room full of Pharisees. But you know what my greatest prayer is for this church? That people out in the community would go, Bridgeway, man, those guys are pretty sharp, but I've never met a church more loving. If we miss that, we missed everything. Listen, my job is not to make you smarter. My job is to help you transform into who Jesus made you to be. That's the point. Paul said, hey, so this whole knowledge thing, you guys are so obsessed with knowledge, 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 knowledge. I gotta be right, gotta be right, gotta be right. You know what doesn't puff up? Love. Love builds up. You can never have too much love. Nobody's going, oh my gosh, I hate this guy. He's so loving. You can never OD on love. Why? Because I'm not even talking about being nice. I'm talking about God love. I'm talking about when you want to do what is right for the kingdom of God and you want to make sure that your neighbor is better off than they were before, that's love. How can you OD on that? How can there be too much of that? There can't be. So Paul said, you know what? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Corinthians, you're so focused on intelligence and knowledge, you're missing it. I need you to get back into the love game, right? So you can start acting like Jesus. Then he says this. This is kind of a, a sweet little backhanded smack. Look at verse two. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. What does that mean? It means you don't know what you think you know. You're not that smart. Why does, why does he say something like that? You know, praise the Lord that the bar for getting saved isn't perfect doctrine or all of us would be damned. I need to be very clear with you. There is no teacher on earth that has perfect doctrine. There's no church that has perfect doctrine. There's no pastor. There's no teacher. There's no guy with a podcast. There's no guy on TV or guy on the radio or lady that wrote this book or that book. There is no one with perfect doctrine. And I'm gonna tell you that's probably likely for two reasons. Number one, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You will never get your full mind wrapped around God. He is way too brilliant for us. So number one, you're automatically gonna fall just by being a human. Second reason, even if you got close, your pride would become such a problem, God would veil a part of your doctrine and you would end up having error because God's not gonna let you become that. How do I know that? Because he did it with the Tower of Babel. When people got too advanced and they got too cocky, he shut them down. Said, nope, you're not doing that. No one has perfect doctrine. That's why we need to always have humility that we would say, this is what I see in scripture. This is how I see it. I feel very firm about what I see in scripture. I don't have the corner market on truth. I don't know everything, so I could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong or I'd change my opinion, but I think, I, once again, it's all that I see here. We're allowed to do that. But if once you start thinking you know everything, you become kind of a bad guy. And that's what we don't want. He said this, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And you go, I don't understand. It's less about what you and I know and more about who God knows. Why is that? If you love God, everything's gonna get covered. You go, okay, I'm, I'm missing that. So if I love God, then he knows me? Hmm, hold on. This is in relation to what I call the scariest passage in the Bible. Anybody know about the scariest passage in the Bible? It comes out of the book of Matthew. 
It says, in the end time, when Jesus Christ comes back, he will say to many. They'll say, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not do miracles in your name? Did I not do all kinds of ministry in your name? Was I not an overt, very clear Christian? And he will say what? Depart from me, I never knew you. The point is not amazing ministry. The point is deep relationship. You see, if God doesn't know you in a personal, intimate way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you do. The goal is not righteousness as much as relationship. Why? Because you don't bring enough righteousness to the table, and nor do I. We're not going to bring anything. It's Jesus or nothing, yeah? Amen. So we got to be focused on our love Jesus summed up the entire law, not with righteousness and perfection, but with what? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we fail in the love area, we fail everywhere. Pick it up in verse four. He said, all right, now back to that food offered to idols thing. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, clearly we know, meaning he's quoting them, an idol has no real existence. It's not a real thing. And I saw your quote, there is no God but one. Great, we agree on that. Verse five. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many quote-unquote lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. This is a very powerful doctrinal statement. So let's walk into it. Food sacrificed to idols. What does he mean? Well, back in the ancient world, gods and goddesses and temples in Rome, and what I mean by the Roman Empire, they were everywhere. It was just a part of culture. You would go down the street and it would be one after another after another. If you go over there, even now, and look at some of the archaeological digs, they would go, and this was the temple to this goddess, and this was the temple to this god, and they were just lined up down the street. And you're like, man, that seems weird. No, it was normal for them. They believed in polytheism. They believed in multiple gods. And hasn't that been the case in almost every culture? I would suggest every culture in all of history. There's always been gods. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like if we get into the Roman and Greek ones, you're super familiar with those. You're like, no, I didn't really pay attention in school. Okay, hold on. Do you know the planets? Okay, once again, Mercury's one of them. How about Mars? Oh, there's another one. What about Neptune? Oh, there's another one. And you start, and you're like, oh, I know a lot more than I thought I did. Yeah, and then it's, and then it's uh, Diana, and then it's um, Aphrodite, and then it's Narcissus, and you start realizing, wait a second, I've heard all these things before. Oh, I know those. Well, they weren't the only culture that did that. Think about the Norse gods, and you're like, yeah, getting a little bit weird for me. That's Scandinavian. That's not me. <laughs> ah, but you watch Marvel movies, yes? You know them just fine. What is a member of the Avengers? His name is? Thor, there you go. What's his dad's name? Odin, what's his brother's name? Loki, there you go. How in the world do you guys know Norse mythology? That's right, movies, okay. Well, once again, it's not just those cultures. The Egyptians, 
at a huge amount, and not until the new Moon Knight series did anyone talk about Egyptian gods, right? So Marvel decided to educate you on that one too. But the Egyptians had tons of gods. They believed that really there were kind of gods in everything. And what you may not have noticed was that when God broke the Hebrews free from their bondage to Egypt, he systematically embarrassed 10 of their gods by dropping down 10 plagues. For example, one of the most famous gods of the Egyptians was Ra, the sun god. So what was one of the plagues? Darkness, shut it off. And he said, oh, he's powerful, is he? Nope lights off. That was the point. They even had frog gods. He's like, oh, do you like froggies? Great. Here we go. And frogs are like pouring in. They're like, I hate frogs. He's like, me too. (laughs) They had a god that was the Nile River. So what happened? Turned it to blood. And his whole point was, guys, you're missing it. I'm the only supreme one. None of this stuff matters. Did you know that in the book of First and Second Kings, you have two of the greatest prophets of all time, Elijah and Elisha, right? Do you know that the majority of their ministry was shutting down Canaanite deities? Canaanite gods named Baal? You guys remember the big showdown on Mount Carmel calling down fire from heaven? That was an embarrassment to a Canaanite deity. Sometimes they would attack the god Molech, who people would sacrifice their children to. So it's really all over scripture. There was gods, gods, gods. You know, it was in the Aztec, the Mayan, all that stuff. There's so many gods throughout history, but are they real? They're not, they're figments of your imagination. They're ways to explain the world around. But people believed it. Do you understand that you can believe something and create your own reality? Do you understand that every single one of us is living in a different reality? We all think we're working with facts. You're not working with facts. You're working with partial information. And you're making decisions based on that partial information, right? Hmm. So here's how it worked with the food sacrifice to idols. All these temples are everywhere, and everyone was like, yeah, 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 you're into that God, you're into that God. Well, they had like halls for rent. And that's where you would do all your business meetings. That's where you would do all your friend gatherings. It's a way to climb the social ladder. It's a way to climb a business ladder. You would kind of be involved in all these. So somebody who's maybe been given money to that temple, been hanging out there, they would go, hey, so I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna throw a party in the temple. So they go up to the temple and the people are like, hi, Mr. Smith, how you doing? He's like, great. So I need to uh, do a little offering to our goddess today. They're like, yes, sir, what would you like? And he's like, well, here's the deal. I think I'm going to have a gathering a little later on. Uh, I'd like a side of lamb and whatever sides you guys got. They're like, all right, now you know, sir, how this works. Well, yeah, I do. I've been here many times. All right, so we're going to do a little small portion of that. We're going to give that to the goddess X. We're going to burn that up to her. Then we're going to do a little small portion so she can have a meal while you have a meal, right? So we're going to give a little bit to her so that she's kind of happy and a part of things, right? Now you can have the rest of the meat. You, got, you want us to prepare that or you want us to sell that for you and get you the proceeds? Because we'll sell it in the marketplace if you want. He's like, no, I think we're going to use it tonight. Okay, that's great. Well, then he gathers all of his friends. We have all these Christians and they're being invited into these pagan temples. They're not, they're not there for the pagan temple reason. They're, they're just there to hang out. So the Christians kept going, is it okay if I go? Like, it's kind of weird. 
I mean, because in one sense, I mean, even the person that just had the meal, they even started the meal by like, hey, everybody, we're here in the beautiful temple of goddess X. Let's all raise a toast to goddess, right? And everyone's like, okay, clink, 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 right? And the Christian is like, so odd. Like, I know it's fake, but something doesn't seem right here. We got to add a layer to this. Why do people believe in gods if nothing happens? If they're really just making stuff up, wouldn't they kind of figure that out? No, because stuff actually happened. Let's start talking about things like Santeria, magic, witchcraft, South Africa, South America, right? All these different things, stuff actually happened. There's a reason why they have the little shrines to this god or goddess. Why? Because here's the deal. You have just created a power vacuum. When you believe in an imaginary God and you're willing to give your whole life over to it and you're willing to worship it and do whatever it says, are you telling me that a demon's not gonna take advantage of that situation? Man, if you can jump into somebody's imaginary world and make it real, dude, do it, right? That's the demon's motto. Man, I'll jump in, it's like, uh, all of a sudden, you know, they're like, they walk into the temple and they're like, oh, uh, deity, deity, Uh, Diana, are you here? And the demon has to put on a wig. He's like, yes, I'm here. (laughs) And they're like, you don't sound like Diana. The same Diana's, nope, it's me still. (laughs) Okay, great. Right, what would you like? I'll do anything for you. You know, it's that kind of, what, you think a demon's not gonna take advantage of that? You guys, the whole battle with Baal and everything is that that's demonic stuff. The demon's getting involved in it going, I'll play this game with you, cool. Is there a real God? Nope, but I can pretend to be one. So when they started seeing all this, a lot of the Christians were going, man, I feel like this is kind of creepy, right? And Paul said, yeah, I hear what you're asking me about, so let's talk about this. You guys keep saying you can do whatever you want and go to any of these activities. Why? Because there's only one God, there's no other God, so it's bogus. And you keep telling me that you have freedom in Christ to do whatever you want. Here's my problem, guys. That's not the end of the story. I'll agree with you. There is only one God. But a God of someone's mind is still a God. And this is the funny thing, because we always look back and we go, man, those ancient people were dumb. So much superstition, and they like, they like serve things that didn't even really help. Hold up. Have you gone to the mall recently? What, you think that that's not a whole area of temples? How do I know that? Because what are you willing to do for money? As a matter of fact, you're going to give time with your children away. You will give time with your family away. You will give precious, you know you're never gonna get that time back, right? You will give it all away for a dollar. Why? Because the dollar can do what God does. Which is what? Provides for you, protects you, gives you escapism, allowance. It can make you feel better. It can get you friends, right? Isn't that how it works? You think that we don't have a great goddess in America called money? And what are you willing to do? Who are you willing to sell? How much of your soul are you willing to give away for influence? Right? You'll do all kinds of stuff on social media. People will go all kinds of extreme things to be popular. What, that's not a god? You created it in your own mind. You're willing to bow down to it. You're willing to give up for it. You're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to worship. What, that's not a god? Of course it is. In America, we just don't call it what it is. We just call it another name. Oh, we still got the problem. 
And so Paul said, you know what? I get it. They're not real, but in your mind, they're real. And now the demons are getting involved. It's kind of real. So in one sense, I'm with you. In another sense, I'm telling you, you're walking in dangerous territory. And here was some of the most beautiful doctrine that was laid out in scripture. He said, there is only one God, the Father, for whom we exist. There is only one Lord. Lord means boss or master. And he is Jesus Christ through whom we exist. All right, let's pause. What does that mean? Judaism is monotheistic. It says there is one God. As a matter of fact, Jews are required to say the Shema multiple times a day. What is the Shema? They're repeating Deuteronomy 6.5. Hear, O Israel, our God is one. Monotheism, there's only one God, there are no others. Christianity took that and said, I absolutely agree. However, now that we know more about the one God, we realize he's more complex than you ever imagined. And he reveals himself in at least three persons. One God, three persons. We refer to them as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul lays it down, he said, you know what? You know how they were involved in your creation? It was the Father's idea the father's heart that says, I will have a people. And the moment he began to speak out, it was through the agent of the son, through the agent of the second person of the Trinity that we began to become real. If we wanted to go on further, we would know from Paul and the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers and guides today, right? That's the father, son, and Holy Spirit. One God, complex, yeah? So he goes, what's my point so far? Well, Paul, you just agreed with us. There's no such thing as gods and there's no such thing as demon meat. So I'm still waiting to figure out why you're having a problem with what we're doing. Verse seven. However, guys, not everyone possesses this knowledge. For some, through former association with idols, they eat food as it was really offered to an idol and their conscience not being mature, being weak, is ruined, it's defiled. I get it, verse eight, food will not commend us to God, we're no worse off if we do not eat, we're no better off if we do. Let's pause, what was his point? Not everybody knows what you know. We always think that truth is the whole point. It's not. How do you put that truth with people? Yeah, but I'm right, so what if you are? Now what? What you thought truth was the whole issue? It's only half the issue. How are you gonna use that truth? How are you gonna live off that truth? How are you gonna act with other people when it comes to that truth? One of the greatest quantum leaps in maturity is when we start realizing not everyone sees the world like we do. There's some of us that are still struggling in that area. You're still shocked that not everybody agrees with you. I don't understand. I posted truth on my social media and everyone disagreed with me. How can that happen? I'm talking facts. Oh, are you? You sure? Well, yeah, blah, blah. No, you're not. Emotions are always involved in facts. Why? It's human beings trying to interpret facts. You always assume everybody sees it the way you do and you don't understand why they're not coming to the same conclusions. They're not dealing with the same set of facts. 
If everyone was on the same set of facts, we'd all be on the same page a lot more. We're simply not. They're looking at different data and they're coming to a different result. You're looking at a different set of data. We're all living in these realities and none of ours are accurate, but we're all living in different ones and we're coming up with different ideas. And then we all fight because we think we're right. But what if you are right? Do you realize not everyone knows God the way that you know him? Not everyone knows the Bible the way that you know it? So when you start walking around and being judgmental on everybody else, and you're like, I don't understand how you could be like that and how you could struggle with that and how you could do that, hold on. They're in process. There's a learning curve. And just because you're awesome in one area doesn't mean that we're awesome in all areas, right? We may nail down one thing in purity, and we may screw up completely in another area, right? But here's where the Corinthians took issue. Paul, do not tell me that I'm gonna take a hit in my business life or in my personal life because some sheltered little immature Christian is gonna get offended by everything I do. And Paul said, hold on. First of all, your attitude's completely wrong. Why are you, why are you looking at it that way? They're in your way? No, they're your point. He said this, you guys, not everyone's had the same experiences and it's altered their reality. Some of these people, you're going into the temple and you're like, there's no such thing as a God, there's no such thing as demon meat, I'm all good. Do you understand that some of these people grew up in that temple? Do you understand that some of these people watched their parents sacrifice away and sell their children into slavery for that deity? Do you understand that some of these people gave their own blood? Do you understand that some people have been giving money and they were poor as a family because they gave all their money to a fake deity that they believed was right? When you got that kind of damage and trauma in your life, and then they watch Christians just walk in and walk out, and they're going, what are you doing? Their experience has completely altered what they believe. It's not as simple as, is it right or is it wrong? What triggers one person doesn't trigger another. Let's talk about fears for a second. Why is it, if we're talking about facts, that some people are good with flying, some people are scared of flying? I mean, aren't we gonna talk about facts? Isn't that what this is all about, yeah? Facts. Either the plane's safe or it's not safe. It's just facts, right? Well, according to facts, it's safer than driving, right? Oh, well, those are the facts. Then why are some people still scared to fly? And this is where all the people that are scared to fly go, excuse me, Pastor, I'm actually good with flying. It's the plummeting out of the sky that I'm struggling with right now. You understand what I'm saying? Like, flying's fun. And if we keep doing it, I'm pro, <laughs> right? It's just being in a can at 30,000 feet. That's my problem, all right? I get it. But are we really talking about facts? You guys hear this news on Saturday morning no, it was late last week. Maybe it was Friday. One of the quarterbacks of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Dwayne Haskins, killed, yeah? 24 years old. How was he killed? Walking down the street, hit by a dump truck. Now, you would assume that walking is safe. Why would you assume you'd get hit by a dump truck? But he was, and now he's gone. Are we talking about facts because I don't think we're talking about facts without emotion. I think emotions are involved in our facts. What about fear of other stuff? You guys, do you know that every night, I have a dog sleep on my bed. 
Do you know what? Every morning she wakes me up by licking me in the face. And yet there are people that are afraid of dogs. I just don't understand. And you know why they're afraid of dogs? Because at one time when they were six, they went to go hug the puppy. The puppy bit them in the face. And now all dogs are scary. So who's right? Are they right or am I right? Yep. Do you understand that their experience alters the facts? So they're not, we're not dealing on the same page. I don't see the world the way they see the world. What about you've had a bad experience with the other gender, right? Oh, you were in a relationship and they crushed your heart. And now you look at all men this way. Or you look at all women this way. And then some of one like me, who's never had abuse, who's never had any of that torment, I don't see any of it. And I just go, I don't understand. Who's right, you or me? Yep. You know, I remember when I was young, I, was, I loved movies that were all intense. I still love movies that are intense. And as a little kid, I would love movies where there was car chases and car crashes and motorcycle crashes and everything. And it was just super awesome. Now, I had the, the light and easy version, like the A-team, where everyone got out alive, no matter how horrific the crash was, right? Or I would be into the other movies where it just looked like total carnage, right? And I was like, yeah. And I remember asking my mom, because I, I loved movies and TV so much. I said, mom, will you come watch this program with me? And she said, no, thanks. That's not my thing. I said, why? She goes, because I worked in an ER. She, now, when you see a family crying over their son who just got in a motorcycle accident and he's no more, it's not entertaining. Do you understand? When you're trying to sew somebody back up and you're actually praying for the patient you're working on, it's not fun to see it again played on TV. Her experiences altered her reality. But I never had any of that. To me, I was always looking at it as I know it's fake. I know it's Hollywood. I'm just excited about the movement and the crash and the bang and all the sound. I loved it. When we first restarted this church, I was not the first pastor of this church, but when we restarted this in 1997, every year we got in a debate over Halloween. Man, back in the 90s, Halloween was a thing. 80s was also Halloween was a thing. And this was a deal. People would be like, you can't celebrate that pagan holiday, right? But we can call it harvest. <laughs> and you can still dress up and eat candy. I go, isn't that Halloween? Nope, it's harvest. Oh, that is different. <laughs> so we would have this debate every year, right? Now, what was interesting is even to this day, it's Andy, my youngest daughter, it's her favorite holiday. Why? My kids grew up and the idea of being able to dress up acceptably and go outside is awesome. And it was the idea of playfulness. Everything was playful. Their parents would walk them around. They would get candy. It was their own stuff. They would sort it. They got to dress however they wanted and play make-believe. And they absolutely loved it. It was joyful and light and easy. At the same time, one of our families here at church had hosted a young lady who had been uh, sexually ritually abused by satanic worshipers. And Halloween was her greatest night of terror because the witchcraft believed that was the night of opening of the supernatural. And she couldn't see anything fun, anything joyful. She saw nothing but terror. So who's right? She right or my kids right? Yep. So what was his point? 
Discovering the truth is only half the battle. The other half is figuring out what to do with what you know. Verse 9, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have this great knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if he's not strong to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you're sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again lest I make my brother stumble. You're like, well, how do I, how do I apply this? Oh, you apply it every day. This is called instructions for how to handle gray areas of morality. You guys know about gray areas of morality? Now, some of you are black and white thinkers, so you've never heard of the word gray. It's actually a shade of black and white together. I'm going to read you a list of gray areas, and some of you are going to be horrified, and some of you are going to go, I don't understand. What's the big deal? That's why it's a gray area, right? So are these fine? Here we go. Are uh, rated, watching R-rated movies, violent video games, alcohol consumption, Marijuana and THC use for medical reasons. Erotica. Dancing at a club. Gambling. Profane music. Are they fine or not? Now here's what's interesting. A bunch of you are like, number five. (laughs) Can't believe that's on the list. But I love number seven. (laughs) Right? Okay. What do you do with those? Well, I don't know. Let's say that You've talked it out with the Lord. Let's say you've figured things out and you see it in a certain way and you have a right to do it. What are you going to do with that? Because here's what's interesting. If your freedom ruins other people's lives, it's not a freedom for you anymore. You know, we're going to get into in chapter 10 the whole thing about offending, right? Um, Because this is where we kind of dig our heels in. Man, if I tried to not offend everybody, right? This is just ridiculous, right? Okay, me as a pastor, after I know all these people, right? If I tried to not offend all of you, I would just be in a fetal position in my house. And then someone would be like, I can't believe you're in a fetal position. I get it, right? And this is where we dig our heels in. We're like, I can't just constantly worry about what everyone else is doing. Okay, but there is a level where your love should actually guide you. And stop saying it's because you think you're right. Who cares if you're right? When was that the point? There's so many of us that post stuff on social media because we're right and you're just mean. What the heck are you doing? Well, I'm right and I'm shutting down the enemy and you're telling me that there's no way to do that without being like the devil. Is that what you're telling me? Because I'm pretty sure if you're as smart as you think you are, you can figure out a different way to do it, right? Where did we get off that because we're right, it excuses our mean-spiritedness? Well, I'm right. Okay, cool, you're right. Now what? Great, can you please do it differently? That was the whole point. Y'all, we're always being watched. You're like, well, not really. I live kind of a quiet life. Okay, well, let me use me as an example. 
You guys, I don't go anywhere without being noticed, right? Sometimes it's the spiky hair, right? Sometimes it's the, it's the voice. The other day, I was at a work uh, lunch, and I was over at Sienna, the restaurant over on Eureka, right? I'm sitting there, and the waitress comes up, and she refills my water, and she goes, are you a pastor? <laughs> and I go, yeah. She goes, well, one of the other ladies that I work with, she thought she recognized you. And I said, well, tell her to come over and say hi. So she comes over, she goes, I knew it was you. <laughs> and I said, she goes, at first I was like, mm, and then I heard you talk, I was like, yep, that's him. <laughs> right? She was super sweet. I remember back, I went to this place, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this before, but I went to a place called Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, Anybody remember when you had to hand your movie to another adult? Before you rented it? Yeah, that's embarrassing. Uh, really, Barbie and Dinotopia. Uh, you're an adult male. What are you doing? For my kids, bro. Okay. Anyway, I'm at Blockbuster, and this little six-year-old guy, seven-year-old guy comes up to me, and he goes, Pastor Lance, hi. I said, I said wow, you're as loud as I am. And he goes, what you renting? Because he was in line too. And I looked at mine, it was pretty hardcore. And I was like, I could have just, shut up, kid. I don't know who you are. My name is Mike. <laughs> and I was like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And Jesus is like, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have been in Blockbuster. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and I looked down, and I was like, well, you know, honesty is the best policy. And I said, well, it's about vampires. And he goes, why would you do that? <clears throat> you see, wherever I go, I'm recognized, but sometimes people tell me, you're just being watched. They don't need to even like you to use you as an excuse to do what they want to do. Hey, you know what I have freedom to do? Dude, there's nothing in the Bible that says I cannot drink. So quite frankly, I'm gonna drink. Oh, sweet, and you just drank in front of somebody trying to be sober? The heck's wrong with you? What, that's okay now? Yeah, well, I have a freedom. I don't need to be constantly watching. Yeah, you do. Well, I can't watch out for everybody. No, you can't, but you can use your wisdom and you can be guided by your love. You see, Paul said, he said, man, when you hurt a Christian, you hurt Jesus. You know why he wrote that down? Because he had personal experience. Before Paul the Apostle was Paul the Apostle, he was what? Saul of Tarsus. Remember, he used to persecute Christians? Then one day on the road to Damascus, God shut him down, blinded him, and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, I don't even know who you are. He said, well, I'm Jesus. When you touch my kids, you're messing with me. And it turned his whole life around. You think he wasn't gonna put that in here? He said, after I know from Jesus' own voice that I hurt his heart, you know what? I'll never eat meat again if that's the problem because it's not about my rights. It's about my love. I love this quote. At what point will we love our neighbor more than our preferences and our rights? You know, on each of these messages, I've been trying to give you an aha moment, and this is the one for today. It's never about what we can get away with. 
The minute you start looking at the Bible as rules and regulations and you look for a loophole, you missed Christianity. It's always about what's loving. If we want to get into the technicality of it, you have enough freedom because of the grace God gave you to abuse the grace and turn into a monster. Is that what you wanted to hear? Okay, so how are you going to live? Because what you were rescued from and rescued for was to love on everybody else. Yeah? Can I have the prayer team come on up here? We're going to close out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, to be honest, we've kind of been a little bit obsessed with ourselves and how things interact with us and whether or not we're right or wrong. And Lord, that's really given us this attitude of looking at everyone else as an opponent or someone to be avoided. But right here in this holy moment, God, I just pray that you would change our mind and our thoughts, that we would start seeing everyone as an opportunity to transform them for the kingdom of God. But Lord, that a lot of us, you have gifted with being really smart. And God, we're probably right with the facts. We're just wrong with our heart. And I just pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be a loving church, a church of brilliance and sweetness at the same time. God, that we would be the ones that go the extra mile for somebody else, not because we have to, but because we want to. Lord, forgive us for the way we have acted. Forgive us for the way that we have thought of ourselves first. And Lord, give us a new vision. Show us what great living looks like so we might be a blessing for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.